This is Dr. Justin Moody from the Dennis Implants and Worms podcast and owner of Implant Pathways. You are listening to Hashtag P-O-D, Podcasts of Dentistry. This podcast is sponsored by Rocketbook. I hate wasting paper. If I could, I would not use pen and paper at all. But I love the feeling of writing and drawing with pen on a nice paper. Somehow, I feel I'm connected to it, but always hating the fact that I cannot bring my drawings or ideas to the digital world. Now, Rocketbook is the exact amalgamation of both the physical and the virtual world. Hear this. You can draw or write on the Rocketbook, take a picture with the Rocketbook app, and magically it cleans the picture and sends it to Google Drive, Evernote, Dropbox, OneDrive, OneNote, Slack, Box, iCloud, iMessage, or even classic email. Just configure the symbols once, and that's it. You snap a picture, and your drawings or plans or notes are right in the Drive or Dropbox, or anything that you choose to send it to. Once you're done, simply use a moist towel. Yes, a moist paper towel. And you can erase it, only to be used again. Simply saving paper. Simply head over to podcastsofdentistry.com slash rocketbook. Welcome to Hashtag POD, Podcasts of Dentistry. I'm your host, Dr. Pank Stingra. Today's guest is none other than Dr. Kaner Shah. If I start talking about his degrees, I would run out of alphabets. In this episode, he opens up a lot, clinically, business-wise, and even spiritually. He shares how he got his 50,000 followers. Heck, I barely scratched the surface of number of followers that he has. He also talks about his typical week or month and his way of being the most productive, both at work and businesses. He talks about his businesses or ventures like Implants Extraction Academy, and Global Summit 2020. He also shares his reasons of working on these specific businesses. He also wants to share with us what was his actual motivation to do MBA and how that helped him. He also talks about what business actually is and and his passionate opinion about corporate industry. Being involved with the corporate world, he shares his opinions about DSOs, Not only he shares his successes, but his failures, his favorite quotes, advices to younger self, and many, many more insights into his psyche. I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I do. Now, please listen to Dr. Kaner Shah. I keep hearing back from people and uh, saying that you've got 50,000 followers. Oh, I mean, what platforms and how do you get so many followers? Let's start that because that'll be interesting. Nobody would ask you that, right? <laughs> so it was a, a accumulation of very hard work for the past 13 years. Yeah. But uh, mostly heavily involved on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, and Instagram. Yeah. And uh, um, once you start standing up for something, uh, you'd be surprised how many people start uh, following your uh, your activities on a regular basis. Interesting. So you uh, you started on LinkedIn, you said, or everywhere? 
sort of simultaneously. Okay. Uh, develop the, the project simultaneously. Okay. And with time, uh, with a lot of posting and uh, posting cases and relevant uh, uh, topics related to our uh, noble profession, uh, the other side of the DSO cross started falling. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, I think that's a very interesting uh, thing because I haven't seen any dentist fall, you know, having so many followers. So that'll be interesting to figure out how you did it. Um, but yes, time, 13 years, and that's a good start. Um, time and hard work like anything else. Sure, sure. Now, um, <clears throat> uh, I I know you, you are into X number of places. You are on top 100 docs. You are doing... Uh, GI Summit 2020, you are, you know, uh, doing, I don't know, implants, dentistry, sedation, you name it and you're doing it. Now, my question is, what is your typical week or month looking right now? Um, seven days a week, I'm usually booked. I practice Saturday, Sundays, also uh, on Tuesdays. It gives me the other days to actually attend to my family, do all of the business-related things that I want to do, the innovations, the academies. Um, I also operate the International Extraction Academy. Yeah. And uh, and uh, the and uh, uh, I created that life for myself by uh, not following the DSO model, and we'll get into that a little bit more uh, further. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Do you have a set schedule like, okay, Mondays I'm doing blah, 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 Tuesday I'm doing that, or it's whatever comes across or whatever time permits you? What differentiates a lot of the, a lot of the most more successful doctors, uh, even in their clinical practice and their personal lives, is that they have a certain set of schedule for everything. Yeah. They have systems for everything. They know where they need to be, when, and uh, they have a very clear mind on how to execute. Yes, on Mondays is a good catch-up day for me. I don't practice on Mondays. Mostly, I it's the beginning of the week. It's where most of the action is. Uh, a lot of press releases that come out. you got to follow the industry, follow up with all your leads, and start your week off strong. So Mondays, I, uh, I attend more to uh, the business side of things. On Tuesdays, I practice. I catch the crowd from, uh, uh, from the weekends. Usually, I catch them on Saturdays and Sundays. I practice half day on Sundays and full day on Saturdays. So it's quiet. There's my email box is not being blown up uh, with a hundred emails uh, on Saturday, Sunday. I can give the patients my full focus. And I come around during the week and uh, I use uh, my three, four days of practice and the rest is with family and business and phone and fax and email. Uh, I interact with hundreds and hundreds of doctors and executives on a, on a, on a monthly basis. Sure. So, so this is interesting. Uh, you talk to a dentist and say you want to work on Saturday. Forget about Sunday. That's not even in the question. And you're working actually on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and uh, did you say you work on Tuesday too? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Sundays, Sundays, I catch the, all of the weekend emergencies in that crowd in our area because nobody else wants to work. So if you want to be different and if you want to succeed, you can't just say I'm different because I have a CT scanner, I have a... 3D uh, uh, scanning machine in my office. You actually have to be different, and uh, and uh, you know, just imagine you 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 approach somebody and you t in a room of a hundred people and you say, "Hey, look at everybody around me. I'm different than them." You're gonna think they're a slime ball, right? <laughs> you not? True. True. So 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 you ha not only say be different. You have to you know those are the little things that make the difference. Uh, okay. Patting the patient on the shoulder, bringing them blanket, doing all the things that you know you wouldn't expect other doctors to do 
And right. in, a, in, a, in a corporate setting, that's very hard to do because it's not a customized relationship. It's a standardized relationship. And, uh, yeah. and uh, you, you have to answer to 100 people. You can't work when you want. You can't build and create the life that you want. And uh, it's a threat to our profession, you know, to our independence. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to corporate dentistry, obviously, later. Uh, but I still want to continue uh, your day-to-day -day weekly thing because that's very, very interesting for somebody who's working on Saturday, Sunday, trying to, uh, as you said, have, you have to be different, uh, working on Tuesday. What about Wednesday through Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What are you doing on those days? Corporate stuff, normally, unless I have emergencies and the girls want to come in. We have a full mod rehabilitation. We bring an anesthesiologist in to put them out. Um, otherwise, those days are reserved for business because they're business, the eight to five grind. So um, I like to take my time those days and attend to uh, outstanding matters. Um, and also, you have to also take time out of your life with family. Yep. So yep. most of my activities happen during the week uh, with, uh, with my family. Beautiful boy and girl and my wife. <laughs> you said you talk, you do handle business. Now, uh, any specific businesses you're uh, spending time on? Uh, what are the businesses you're working on? on business? I mean, is it the business of dentistry in the dental office or, or, somebody else, or something else? Well, um, A, um, one of my uh, core competencies is bringing doctors together. My sole mission now is to fight for my colleagues for uh, the threats that we face in the profession. So my business activities relate accordingly. Yeah. So doctors become more, uh, more capable, uh, more skilled to be able to compete in this environment. They have to get additional skills, be it in ortho, be it in surgery, be it in endo. So I try to create bridges where we take doctors from that are interested in extractions, for example, and help them become excellent surgeons, which A, increases their, their, their value in the market, sure. and B, gives them the opportunity to, 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 to uh, uh, create the kind of life they want for themselves. So if they are interested in extractions, they're fearful to do implants, we have the International Extraction Academy, where we think differently now about exodontia. And we have nine or ten workshops next year around the country. We just finished our last one in Houston. Uh, last weekend, um, and uh, these doctors come in, we, we do workshops, we do an online series for them, we create toolboxes for them, which I did, for example, with the Global Implantology uh, Summit last year, uh -huh. where they got to meet a lot of the KOLs and interact with the KOLs, and uh, that's, what, that's one thing we are lacking in our profession is people to actually come out that have business acumen. They don't teach that to us in dental school, and all of these corporate outfits and other organizations take advantage of the fact that my colleagues are, 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 don't have the business, business acumen uh, 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 needed to, to, to operate and succeed in the market. I went back and got an MBA to learn half of this stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And I want to pass on as much information as possible can to our uh, younger generation colleagues that are so they're not molded the wrong way. Got it. So you Those are my business activities. I mean... Mm -hmm. Uh, amongst uh, other projects that I do in stem cells and uh, so on. So, okay. So, basically, we're talking about the business. You, you, you basically spend time on International Extraction Academy, uh, the GI Summit. Uh, any other businesses you want to talk about, like you, which, where you spend your time on, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Between now and January 1, we're selecting the top 100 doctors based on credentials. Uh, it's a peer-selected operation. Yeah, um, you have an advisory board, and this uh, peer selection process is devoid 
of any financial interest, uh, interest of uh, special interest. It's a pure, clean operation of what we believe the top guys are that are innovators, educators, scientists, surgeons, researchers in our profession to bring them together for a, for a very good cause. But that's a surprise to be seen uh, next year. Right, right, right. Now, it's, this is a very interesting thing, uh, you know, bringing, uh, you know, working in Global Summit 2020, uh, where you do not have a financial interest. The key word is having no financial interest in it. Number two, top 100 docs from all over the world. I, I looked up all the pages. Uh, there are pages and pages of people who are from all over the world. Uh, Slovakia, uh, Japan, you know, and, and you just name it. My question is, what is your motivation to create such a... Over 60 countries. The motivation is very simple. You don't have a coherent operation um, in, in dentistry that... Uh, essentially brings together individual sole proprietors, doctors that are, that are doing good things uh, on their own. So we need uh, to create more of these type of uh, um, um, think, think tanks uh, that uh, can help determine the future of our profession. Our, uh, this uh, this uh, corporate infestation is going to turn us into uh, uh, downgraded technicians. So we need to have uh, we need to have people that stand up and uh, take a position. And mm-hmm. I intend to do that. You have competitor. I mean, other companies that do this kind of thing, but it's a paper, it's a paper uh, play type scenario. We didn't take a dime from anybody for yeah. for for this effort, and uh, and all of the uh, uh, experts are not uh, donating anything. Yeah. Um, so it's something that I'm doing with my time that hopefully will bear fruit for humanitarian causes in the future. Okay, so you're bringing people around together and you're trying to uh, motivate them to do something. What is? Do you have a plan or do you just want to bring them in first and then you see how <laughs> that is going to eventually pan out? Or Well, we are going to publish this in numerous different areas. On January 1, 2020. Also, I'm talking to a lot of, um, um, like, the American uh, um, uh, Cancer Society. I'm wanting to see if there's an angle there to see if we can raise some funds for oral cancer research. Uh, nothing concrete yet, but uh, rest assured, there's going to be a lot of press releases out, and a lot of people are going to be seeing um, uh, what uh, we are doing and what we're trying to accomplish. The first task in this step is to gather the 80, uh, the, the 100, and we're at like 81 right now, uh, and our deadlines are coming up. So when the selection process is complete and the 100 are done and the, the, the cover goes up, yeah, we are going to be spending all of 2020 to to promote and see if we can um, find uh, common causes, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, that's the intention there. Got it. No, that makes sense. All right, so... Uh, Monday business, Tuesday practice, Saturday Sunday is practice. That's that's great. So now let's let's switch gears a little bit from social media and you know all your business partnership. Let's go back to a little clinical here um, and uh, talking about uh, implantology. I mean, come on, I can talk about anything, but uh, I think that's what you do the most, right? Implants. Uh, if you don't mind to share, uh, how how did you start with implantology? I mean. Uh, you, you do quite a bit, quite a bit. Uh, what was so you graduated from uh, Southern Illinois? Am I right? Correct. Yeah. And then what happened? How did you get into the first implant 
how did you put in the first implant? Where did you learn? And what are the other courses that you end up doing, uh, getting into getting into the implantology, what you are right now? So six months out of school, I purchased my first practice. And um, I believe it was in 2006, seven, uh, mid 2007, uh, Henry Schein um, person walked in and said, hey, there's a course in Chicago. <clears throat> Do you want to go attend it? It's two to three days. And uh, it was Camlog at the time. And I said, yeah, sure. I'm always looking for continuing education to better myself. I was learning a lot at the time from a senior doctor that, uh, that was associating uh, uh, and another doctor that did the sale at the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I decided to go up there. And when you know it's your calling, you know it's your calling. I was in that course for two days. And this is, I thought, man, this could really help me build a career. And that's where it all started, and uh, and uh, I took it like anything else, a learning curve, uh, to get to a point where you go from, uh, you know, like when they taught us the root canals, the central, the lateral, the canine, you start with single unit implants, and next thing you know, you're doing all in fours and all in eights <laughs> and uh, yeah. and and, and uh, hybrids and what have you. So my interest was really really high in extractions when I was in dental school. So I kind of saw. That a lot of my colleagues that liked extractions ended up doing a lot of implants. Okay. Now, I left Illinois in 2010 and came to California and started taking a lot of fellowships and masterships because the tables had turned there. Over there, we, you really need headhunters to actually find uh, doctors, qualified doctors for you because there's a lack of uh, volume that we have here in California. So the tables had turned. In California, either you have skills or you have your own practice, or you're yeah. going to go to, to Texas or uh, Nevada or somewhere to, to get some experience. So yeah. the the employers have such an abundance, of these multiple dental schools here in the state, of employees to choose from that come out of school with four or $500,000 worth of debt, that uh, 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 it's a different environment. So your only option of survival is to up your credentials and your skills. So I do practice in all disciplines of dentistry now. Well, and have so for a very long time. So, um, so you basically started with one simple course, um, by, which was sponsored by Henry Schein Camlog, um, and from there, did you did you join any other uh, implant courses? What other implant courses, if you remember? I I've been to I couldn't even start telling you from New York to Miami to to LA. Uh, I was a big fan of Mish. I did a lot of uh, following of Mish. Yeah. But uh, you have to sort of everybody has different opinions about different topics. You have to f go to different courses, you know, and then and kind of develop your own opinion. Okay. But uh, uh, um, that was the that was the whole purpose of the global summit is bringing all these KOLs to LA and having these 500 plus uh, attendees come out. And kind of meet them and decide for themselves who and how they're going to go with. I went also to the California Implant Institute with Dr. Farage. That was really good for a year year course to get all the basics in. Then I went to Mexico uh, uh, twice. Uh, so lots of different, they have like surgical courses depending on, on who you're working with. Yeah. Uh, there's many. So uh, you it's not hard to find um, and you have to start somewhere. Um, yeah. Some it. go to universities for a year and get a, mm -hmm. a GPR or an advanced implant training. 
and some do it uh, slowly over time and, and uh, go to different uh, programs and get it that way. But I can tell you that there's one out of three Americans are missing at least one tooth. Yeah. There's a huge market uh, in plantology, and it's sure. possibly the hottest market right now in dentistry. <laughs> yeah, we all agree yeah. upon that. Um, now, uh, are you teaching implants too? Like, are you teaching? Yes, we, we teach implants at, uh, as part of actually the extraction uh, extraction academy curriculum. Okay. Um, okay. We teach mostly immediate implants. It always blows my mind how you take a tooth out and you have a natural guide, and people are afraid to put the implant into that natural guide. So immediate implants, we teach a lot of that. Yeah, got it. So uh, that is at uh, International Extraction Academy. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yes, um, and we also have Global Implantology Institute where uh, our partners put up a lot of courses. Um, and uh, essentially, um, not every indication is obviously immediate. you got to sometimes graft and sign yeah, and lift and yeah. do a lot now, of other things. So, uh, so somebody who's graduated like three to five years out of dental school, uh, they haven't done any implants. Uh, uh, how do you think uh, among your group, like at International uh, Extraction Academy and or uh, GI Institute, uh, how, what do you think they should follow first? Is there a specific uh, uh, curriculum uh, sequence that they should follow at your one of your academies uh, to learn implants and do what you or get close to what you do? So online series, what we did is we put on an online series at the Extraction Academy where we go from essentially all of the different topics, starting with anatomy all the way through the complex implantology scenarios by leaders and experts of that particular uh, um, specialization. So you have uh, phlebotomy in their pharmacology, anesthesia, and all the different topics, sort of a refresher okay. before they come to the workshops. And then they come to the workshops, and from there it just all... Uh, uh, takes off. And then also I work with Dr. Uh, uh, Garg uh, with the International Dental Implant Academy and he's got different programs, uh, fellowships, uh, masterships, diplomates. That's one I would recommend. Uh, I myself went to the ICI program um, when uh, Dr. Mish was still around. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's many different organizations uh, to, to look into. Yeah, got it. Got the idea. So Start with online courses, then go to workshops, and then probably go to Mexico or any of those uh, Dominican Republic uh, long programs. That would be is what you are advising. Uh, Absolutely, you got to get your hands wet too. If you got like a like a shoulder shoulder training opportunity uh, anywhere in the country, or even live placement yourself yeah. nearby or outside the country, I highly recommend those because you go up there and you place like twenty thirty implants. Next sure. thing you know, the following Monday you come back and you're just yeah. completely full of knowledge and information and uh yeah it helps great now uh you i i heard that you said that you do all kinds of dentistry uh in a day when you're practicing uh what is your typical day in a dental office look like is it all implants is it all all in four full mouth rehabs or you're doing root canals and like surgical extractions and you know so on all of the above I treat my patients with uh, with uh, every uh, uh, bit of uh, information and knowledge that I've gained uh, over the years, taking you know countless uh, continuing education uh, uh, courses and training. So we do whatever the patient needs, especially apprehensive patients when they come in. They have had other problems at other offices. 
I'm in a position to put them uh, into deep sedation and do their whole mouth in one setting. Got it. It takes a certain amount of skill, um, certain amount of patience. Sometimes we are chair side for seven hours straight. Um, you know, uh, obviously the patient is not necessarily seven hours on her, but you're still working, temporizing, uh, cleaning up, taking x-rays, taking photos. So um, when you up your skills, it becomes a very, uh, very nice scenario where you can render the care. But sometimes, very rarely, uh, a case, especially my pathology cases, I refer out to the radiologist to review. Yeah. And if I have some complex cases that uh, I'd uh, rather have the oral surgeons do, I refer it over there. But that's that's not very often. Got it. So what you're saying is that you do a full comprehensive uh, uh, treatment treatment for the one patient in a day, maybe one or two patients a day, uh, and then. You're doing everything. Just sedate them, either in deep sedation or bring in an anesthesiologist, right? Um, uh, or you do it by yourself and then follow it up with all the procedures that's needed for that patient in a day. Am I right to understand that? Yes. If you have patients in this, those case scenarios, yes. Otherwise, we're treating them just like any other dental office. Okay. And uh, and uh, in a comprehensive fashion. Okay. So, so primarily, do you treat them under sedation and that's and you do the big cases or you do you know like a regular general dentist a bread and butter dentistry along with some implants along with some root canals and whatnot i'm just trying to understand with because your time is so valuable or being busy so 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 many places you know um how do you make it happen in your office that's what i'm trying to understand I'm still humble enough to do my MODs, yes. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I, I like to care for my patients with uh, a comprehensive approach. Their time is as valuable as my practice. Uh, you're no different than the next doctor. You have to give them uh, the best sort of treatment under the standards of care. So, um, yes, if a patient walks in and needs five fillings, I'll do them. If a patient comes in and needs bilateral sinus lifts and a and a, and a full arch upper and a full arch lower, I do them. If they need to complete uh, 26 crowns because they have some sort of uh, defect in their, in their, in their, in their mouth uh, uh, from birth or otherwise, we do them. Uh, um, so uh, root canals, you know, doing a molar root canals, like doing two premolars or two centrals, really. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm-hmm. do them. Uh, um, so, but what I don't do is what other doctors do, is run between chairs. I okay. don't run between five chairs. I only have two chairs. Okay. And those two chairs, I generate more revenue than I did when I had six offices, each with four or five chairs in them. This is so interesting. You have only two chairs, and you do all kind of general dentistry, along with not to mention FMRs, but you still generate more revenue. This seems like a, a little, uh, little difficult to digest for you know my audience, I should say. Um, I'm sure you're doing it. Uh, you've been doing it for such a long time. But how's that becoming? Uh, where are you getting such patients who are willing to spend so much time and money to do such uh, great? They procedures? don't spend so much time and so money. Actually, I'm contracted with insurance companies, just as the next guy is. Okay. But I work efficiently and effectively with the systems, with systems in place. Um, the loud noises in the market would want you to believe that unless you come out of school with five hundred thousand dollars in debt and and don't join them that you're doomed because you ain't going to survive. I took $100,000, built a beautiful office with, with a CT in it that's worth more than $100,000. And I'll explain to you soon how I did that. Yeah. But uh, I, I the tenant improvements I allocated to the landlord, bought two very inexpensive chairs to get started. 
Uh, and uh, the $100,000, our second year, we were close to hitting a million dollars when I had my six offices uh, with some 80% overhead, 92 employees. Uh, I almost had a heart attack. Uh, even though the systems were in place, you got fires. That's what you're putting out all the time. Fires, fires, fires. And uh, you don't have yourself control of the flow and uh, your, your, your reputation and your um, yeah. license on the line. And, uh, and uh, I'm so glad now that I'm working three days a week. I make more money. I have sure. two chairs. Sure. Um, I accept most insurances. Um, uh, so what is, your main what is the difference between, what is the difference between your way of working when you're doing, accepting the same insurance like me, doing the same bread and butter dentistry like me or any other dentist? Uh, obviously, you've got more skills. Okay, let's keep that for a second aside. How's, how are you still able, how were you still able to make a million dollars in the second year of your opening up the office when you started it? You see what I'm saying? I'm close to a million dollars. We're not done with the calendar yet, but uh, we're uh, pretty close. Um, uh, so, A, I spent quite a bit of time with my new patients. I sit down and I uh, uh, try to really get into the reasons why they're there, what their issues are, not what I learned in dental school. But really binding with the patients because they have okay. different priorities than we do. Okay. Um, I barely spend anything on marketing. It's all word of mouth because okay. uh, little things that we do in the office, which sets us apart from everybody else. I don't run between patients. When I schedule 10 patients in my column and maybe eight patients with an assistant during a day, uh, be follow ups, so forth. Um, I spent my full attention on the patient. I don't numb them. I run, run into the other room and then come back and realize the patient's not numb. Patients aren't dumb. Uh, they know. They, they, they pick up on the smallest things. So they get my full attention. So the marketing factor is almost eliminated. Okay. Um, I uh, do quadrant dentistry when I can. Um, you know, it costs nine ten dollars to set up a room. So if you have a patient there and you have the ability to, to do the work, uh, and they're willing to have the work done, then you're in a better position to do more in one setting than continuously bringing them back and setting up and setting down. And every one part of my operation is done this way. Efficiency, efficacy, better systems, wiser wiser treatment, and uh, full attention to the patients. So basically, you're sitting with the patient, you're spending time with the patient and offering them, him or her, uh, a, a, a full treatment plan. But how are you, you know, able to... I don't want to use the word sell, but essentially it is what it is, you know. How are you able to sell uh, such a such a lengthy, complicated treatment plan? Uh, it could be $5,000, $10,000, maybe more, actually, uh, with what you're doing. Uh, what is your... Trust. The single, single word is trust. The patients, when you interact with them and they gain trust in you, you have to be confident in yourself. If you're not confident in yourself, how do you expect other people to be confident in you? So when the confidence is there, you go over three, three or four different options for them. Even here is option A, B, C, and D. Okay. Sometimes they accept one of them. Sometimes they don't accept any of them. But I don't play the games that are thought by corporations. I'll try to close them right there. Make sure they don't leave with an appointment. Give them options, a relaxed environment. I joke with them and laugh and have a good time. And at the end, uh, next thing I know, the whole family comes in. They're all spending money and nobody questions anything. You don't have any issues with people with money and stuff. They're like family around here. Okay. So, so we have a completely different uh, approach to, to, uh, to uh, treatment. If you want to use the word 
sales, but I like to develop friendships because uh, uh, these patients, you know, I was looking at someone's uh, uh, online stuff yesterday, some patient from 20 years ago came back and was attacking them for poor work and, uh, and all of that. So, you know, what goes around goes around. Uh, okay. Versus around. So that makes sense. So, so you know, you're gonna have one pissed off patient that's gonna tell the whole world, and you're gonna have one good patient that's gonna bring ten people around. So you want to have a lot of the uh, uh, little things count. Um, so days sometimes I work four days a week when I have a big case that's a thirty forty thousand dollar case I come in on a Friday and do it okay. with the girls and anesthesiologists. So those days plus the normal standard operating days, uh, you'd be surprised how quick you hit the numbers that you like. Makes sense. That makes sense. Now, since we're talking <clears throat> about dentistry and whatnot, I was listening to one of your another podcast, and uh, you said uh, that you were able to quadruple the first practice that you bought in the first year of your graduation. Uh, Correct. <laughs> four times is huge. And I, uh, if I remember correctly, you said you bought it for 400000 Um And then you, even if you did three times, it's like almost more than a million. Uh, 1.6 first year. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Um, so 400000 to 1.6. Tell me the magic. I'm sure people okay. would be interested there. <laughs> That's really, really aggressive uh, uh, dedication. And uh, you, you know, I was working for sometimes six days a week, and uh, and uh, for me it was fun. For example, for patients to come in and do four wisdom teeth in between uh, serious uh, procedures like a root canal, or for me again, serious procedures—they're all serious procedures. But um, relative, so yeah. you know, a thousand here and a thousand there, um, and I worked six days a week. Emergency lines were open. If you in that town. One at dental care, you could call and get in the same day or the next day or via the emergency. And we had uh, uh, seven doctors in that town. It's a small town. By the time uh, yeah. uh, the office was cranking, we had over 50% of the market share because we were attending to these people. We had a good reputation, and uh, things were expanding from there very rapidly. So and I used some of those funds to buy a second office and do the same. Okay. Uh, let me stop you here. So you graduated from uh, Southern Illinois. Uh, and then within six months, you bought this office. Do you think your skills were, were really that great at that time when you graduated from dental school that you were able to do four wisdoms and, you know, root canals in a very predictable way? Is that where you think you did good? Uh, I'm just curious. Um, yes, that was a good move. The, the next move wasn't probably the smartest move, uh, okay. but... Uh, Getting out of dental school, associating with another doctor, and then um, buying your own practice was probably the best thing I did okay. instead of joining the corporation. Yeah. Um, uh, trying to own empires is where you where a lot of doctors go wrong. They see these 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 hedge fund backed uh, non licensed entities that waltz into our profession like they were invited or uh, 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 you know uh, or a guest. Yes. Um, and they make billions of dollars. These are not billion-dollar entities. You know, they're selling shares to retirement funds in Canada, and you got them popping up everywhere. It's a big threat to our profession. Um, and they see that, and they think they can go out and own an empire and buy 5, 10, 50 offices and retire. Mm -hmm. And they don't know at what tremendous human cost that comes at. 
Um, and uh, and uh, I wanted to build offices in large box retail settings like uh, Meyer and Sears. And I actually successfully built a couple in Kmart and and Meyer and uh, had a bit of a conflict with Walmart in 2013. But uh, Empire Building is probably not the best way. My intent was to open uh, access to to um, to uh, the underprivileged, especially in the Midwest and others where you have state-funded programs where these DSOs would actually be a good option to actually, they claim that they want to increase access to to, 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 to patients. And the next thing you know, they're all headquartered in Southern California under sun and palm trees and, 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 <laughs> and all competing for patients there. I got There's it. nobody in the Midwest. So mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if the DSOs were actually working with the government for, for government-funded programs, it would be a good scenario for doctors to go and associate with them for a year or two and then get out and do their own thing. But no, uh, I, I'm still trying to I'm still trying to understand uh, how you were. Let's go back to uh, I know we can continue talking about the DSOs and the corporate dentistry a little later. But I want to focus on, you know, the, the mindset and the success that you were able to achieve. Uh, you know, within three years, you had six offices. Um, you were your first office. You quadrupled. Um, you think. Is there any other reason that you were able to do it apart from your skills, apart from you being available almost 24 hours? Do you think any other any other skills that people should have uh, to to get to that level? Well, um, I have a very uh, mm-hmm. addictive personality when I get into uh, into a project of I'm fully dedicated. Okay, get going there. Uh, uh, very intensely. I mean, I would stay till eight or nine at night uh, doing charts and planning yeah. for the next day. It takes uh, a dedication was hands down the most one. I don't think I can do that now at this age because I don't have that energy. <laughs> like but uh, I got it. At dental school, you come out and it's exciting and you're a doctor now and you want to build a life for yourself and a career and you want to get married and buy a house and a car. Uh, your priorities are a little different. Once you age and you get experience, and nothing trumps experience, Great. you realize the more important things in life. Sure, sure. Now, uh, I think I want to go a little back here, uh, trying to understand, uh, were you always that hardworking? Uh, I'm trying to say, ask you is because you're from Iran, right? You were in Iran before coming down here. I'm trying to understand, were you... You know, uh, is it because of your culture uh, that you were hardworking as what you are, or you're dedicated, or uh, it's because, or it's because your parents instilled that uh, hard work, dedication thing in you? I'm trying to come, trying to find out. Yeah, I mean, in the Persian culture, the parents will tell you uh, all your life you got to become an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer <laughs> or something. Yeah. But my story is a very of a unique nature because I left Iran when I was uh, nine years old. I yes. grew up in Germany and I did my high school in Germany. Yeah. So I picked up some of the European culture and then I came here for undergrad and dental school and fellowships and all of that stuff. So uh, uh, between the Persian, the the, the German culture-ish uh, countries, and uh, the U.S., I, w- I had to work hard. You, you know, not everybody gets a gets a. a, a golden spoon in life and not everybody gets the same cards sure um, and every decision that you make in life will end uh, will end in who you are got it who you become yeah so i was a valedictorian of my high school i graduated undergrad with a 4.0 i did my mba with a 4.0 yeah um 
so for me, uh, uh, a B was not an option. And understand. So basically, I think uh, the way I see is because you were exposed to so much, so many cultures, your own culture, Germany, not to mention, uh, and then uh, probably because of your upbringing, uh, I believe you were so dedicated and working hard to doing. So bottom line is hard work and dedication. You know, there is no substitute for that. Am I am I saying that uh, correct? Okay, great, great. Now and never never lose enthusiasm when you fail. This just is keep coming back. You just keep getting up and coming back stronger, harder. <laughs> it doesn't kill you. It it makes you stronger. You. Makes you stronger. Strong. Great. Now uh, we're still going back to your story here. Uh, so within three years, you had six offices, and essentially you sold them. And you moved to California. Sold the assets. I had a little bit of a uh, uh, thing with uh, Walmart, and, uh, and uh, there were some disputes about. Uh, okay. Which I can't really get into that too because they're related settlement agreements. Yes, fair enough. Um, but uh, we moved uh, to California with my wife to Southern California, and uh, and started uh, traveling and doing surgical procedures for doctors. I've been probably in over three hundred offices. Um, yep. more, likely more, just doing the, all of the complex endos and implants and, and all of that and just gaining knowledge and gaining uh, an understanding of what my colleagues really struggle with. So that was a very life-awarding experience uh, uh, since moving from Illinois yeah. to California. Sure, sure. Uh, no, uh, I, uh, I really want to learn from that experience. But uh, you moved to California. What, what made you choose California? You could have been in any other Midwest country or, you know, a neighboring state all the way to the West Coast. I mean, I'm trying to see why. I've been trying to run away from the cold all my life. Okay. In Iran, it was cold. And in <laughs> Germany, it was raining all the time. And I ended up in Illinois, and you can get pneumonia from walking to your mailbox over there. <laughs> now, that makes sense. My, one of my friends, he actually moved to Florida uh, on the far east coast <laughs> for the same reason. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, okay, that makes Definitely sense. Definitely the weather. Definitely the weather. willing to pay for it. <laughs> right. Um, now you're encouraging me to move either of the two states, you know, East Coast or the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's brutal in the Chicago area, and we had a couple of offices there in Southern Illinois and uh, Rockford and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yes, so I'm glad that 15-year uh, phase in Illinois is over now, and Great. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to dress up as the next day because it's always warm here. <laughs> right, and uh, after that, you ended up doing MBA. In international business, yes. When I was traveling to these doctors' offices, probably three, four days a week, I would at nighttime do the MBA online. Okay, it was and, online. Uh, okay, yeah. What and some, the, some, some on-campus courses. Sure. Yeah. Were, yeah. Online. So, uh, what was your motivation to learn MBA? I mean, do MBA? Were you always business oriented? Your family was business oriented. That's why. I mean, no, I was very naive in business. I thought everybody had good intentions and I could work with certain groups like these fortune groups that I worked with. And uh, let me be very frank with you. There is sure. nothing naive about business. It's a very, very, uh, very tough. There's a lot of, um, what, what is the right word here? Uh, um, it's not coming to mind, but it's a very, very tough ordeal, business. Nobody is going to... Uh, be naive about it, and if they have an opportunity to, 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 to get you, they'll get you. They'll get you. Especially the corporate environments, yes. 
So my, you know, and when we get to the discussions of the corporate scenario, that really left a real scar in me. No bad that, taste, uh, yeah. Bad, bad taste. So I wanted to go and learn what this is all about. They didn't mm-hmm. teach us anything. It was one one course in dental school about business. Nah. And then I went and learned how this all really, really works. Uh, so an international business was my emphasis, and um, I did it at nighttime mm-hmm. and excelled uh, above and beyond in that program. Right, right. And, and I came out and uh, have more in my uh, in my toolbox now. Got it. So that makes sense. Um, maybe because of your also your because of your experience at the Walmart, uh, um, and uh, you know Kmart while you were at Illinois, and uh, you wanted to, Sears. yeah, Meyer, uh, Meyer. Sears and Myers, yeah, um, and probably that's the reason you wanted to learn why they de- why they behaved the way they behaved. Probably um, that makes sense. That does make sense. Great. Yes. So. Now, um, let's go uh, switch a little gear about a little philosophical part of it, right? Now, everybody says, uh, look for the life that you want to live, right? Uh, What is the life that you want to live? What was your, how did you come to deciding when you were younger? I mean, come on. Uh, Obviously, you had some vision, uh, some values when you graduated from dental school. I'm trying to ask the younger Dr. Kenar Shaw, uh, when you graduated, what was your thought process at that time? Or did you have any at that time or not? Uh, to be t- the successful life that you were looking to do, to have. So, plastic, I mean, cardiac surgery is what I wanted to get into since I was like four or five. Uh, uh, um, my parents uh, yeah. still tell a lot of stories about wanting to be a doctor and this, that, something I might have said when I was a child. Sure. But for me, there was no other option. I happened in dentistry because my best friend in undergrad uh, ended up going to dental school and I followed him the next year and uh, here we are today. Uh, but uh, I wanted to help people and I wanted to have, uh, as I got a little older, to have the freedoms um, that we enjoy as dentists, unless, of course, you work for a corporate setting. Yeah. Um, uh, the freedoms to uh, to self determination, to have a destiny, to have um, uh, autonomy over my decisions and my actions, and uh, and you build uh, your life by uh, working backwards. A, you see the end result in mind and you work towards that, and B, you paint it on the wall and you look at it every day and you say, this is what I'm going to achieve. Next amount of time. And the next thing you see, all the no's start turning into yeses. And then the yeses turn into more yeses. Then you don't have to ask any questions because they come for you and they come looking for you. And they want to work with you. And uh, that's how the stream of things go. Right. All the no's, the repeated no's, uh, uh, are no longer no's anymore. And all you know, the people that were laughing, they're not laughing anymore. Uh, um, so uh, uh, don't get disencouraged by no's. Should just give keep you more motivated to come back harder and no, better and stronger. No, uh, I completely agree. But I'm trying to understand uh, how did you even when you were so young, whenever you graduated, uh, you were so young uh, at that time. Did you have a vision already? How the life that you wanted to live? Did you already have the vision at that time? Or- yeah, I was really attracted to blonde girls, so I came to America <laughs> to, to a blonde girl, and I did. 
and, so, uh, and uh, yes, uh, um, yes, indeed. Um, I always loved the American culture when I was in Germany as well. Yeah. The, the freedom that we enjoy here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, there's going to be opportunity. And, sure. Uh, if you work hard enough in this country, you can get to very high places. So American dream, basically, right? So you were attracted by the American girls and American dream. Right? So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't quite go on the girls thing. I had something envisioned in my mind. Uh, Great. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, come on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but chasing girls was never really my thing. Um, I've always worked and worked and worked, and I don't remember. Uh, yeah. People think I go to holidays when I travel internationally, but it's usually always for a lecture or a business yeah. meeting or something. And sometimes my wife tags long, but we're not usually there more than for three, four, five, six days. Yeah. So uh, for me, uh, for me, uh, my career and my profession are uh, more on the front line than vacations and uh, and weekend uh, weekends and, uh, and and all of that. So basically, you are workaholic. You know, you like dentistry, or I should say, dentaholic. You know, you love dentistry so much. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so you only had a vision, so that's great. For somebody who's graduating, who's young, uh, I'm not young, but I'm just saying, um, somebody who's 25, 27, is there any exercise or any thought process that you have for them to uh, envision what their future should be or should be like? Uh, is there any specific exercises that they could do, what I'm saying? Yes, to talk to as many people as they can and make it their own. <clears throat> Okay. You go to a uh, to a dentist that has bad habits. You could end up picking up bad habits from that dentist. You go to a corporation that has bad habits. You could pick up bad habits from them. In reality, you have to make your own about what is right and what is not. But what I can tell you is, uh, I could have avoided a lot of mistakes that cost me millions of dollars if I would have consulted more and more people before I engaged into those type of uh, situations. Okay. Um, so uh, there's no right answer. You know, I don't want to pray, uh, preach and say here, I know all of the answers because I don't. I learn every day from younger colleagues, from older colleagues. So um, staying within the loop, I think, uh, 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 will help you shape and form your... And you know, uh, uh, you cannot have a Ferrari right out of dental school. You have to, I mean, if that's what you're into. Right. It takes time to build that up. So don't be convinced by all these companies that tell you you got to buy this and you got to buy that. And you just need one or two chests to get started. Yeah. And you surprisingly have a patient walk in with a big treatment plan and then off and go, you're running and you never look back. Um, so you really got to make it your own. There's no such thing as a formula for, for success in dentistry. Got it. There's a formula for success in life and it's pretty much... The same. The same, you know. <laughs> so basically, work hard, talk to different dentists, uh, see what actually clicks, uh, see what actually clicks, right? Uh, uh, what makes you feel contented, uh, what you like, what you hate. And then, uh, you know, uh, keep twisting, keep changing your vision uh, or adjusting, if not changing, uh, adjusting your vision for what you actually want to achieve and what is uh, important for you. Is this the right way to say it? Precisely. Okay, great. Yeah, so uh, you travel so much. Uh, so how do you balance so much uh, between your life and your family? Or honestly, there is no balance. <laughs> I, I mean, my wife is uh, is tremendous. Um, I couldn't probably do it without her. 
it's very supportive and, and helps me to get from A to B on a daily basis and uh, uh, and takes care of our, our children and uh, and uh, yeah, also have a system at home that is uh, that works for everybody. Okay, interesting. I'm sure uh, people would like to know that system, huh? <laughs> uh, all right, jokes apart. Um, that's interesting uh, because I um, I really get uh, surprised with somebody who's traveling so much, who's got three businesses going on together along with dentistry full time. You know, Global Summit, top hundred docs. You know, uh, in, uh, Implant Extraction Academy, uh, and still able to manage life. It's it's really hard. So you need support. You need support from your friends and fa- your family uh, to make. Oh it yeah, happen. I haven't come this far without support, and this is just the beginning. Um, uh, so there's a lot of people. You can't get far without support and having friends and people that uh, that enable you. There's a lot of people out there that enable me, and uh, we've just gotten started, my friend. Sure, I like that. I like that uh, that tone and attitude. Uh, thank you. Uh, now, coming to that, why do you think ownership is so important to be successful? Uh, well, first of all, it's not me; it's the state laws. Um, when you're not the owner of a practice, right? You don't you don't have autonomy about the patient care. Everything goes hand in hand, from your material selection, the way you set up your room, to the way you schedule your patients at time intervals. The way you select everything. When there's another person in the equation, it uh, interferes with the patient-doctor relationship. Very simple. Right. Set. Now you can twist it and turn it any which way you want. You can go out and set up uh, unethically illegal entities in Nevada and, and in Delaware and, and Florida, and somehow get a doctor to put his name on ten offices for you and. So when the state legislatures are looking in, they say, oh, it's owned by a dentist. And then the dentist doesn't have any assets and you own all the assets backed by a hedge fund. They can play all the games uh, they want in this scenario. But yet at the end of the day, my recommendation for my colleagues is never engage with a corporate outfit if you're not the owner. They claim that they're coming in as a management group. They're increasing access. We have to have ownership of our profession or soon enough, we're going to be working for big corporate outfits. As, as technicians uh, and useless, pretty much uh, this is very important. 47 of the 50 states require dentists to own a dental practice. Yes. There are ways around laws. There's always ways around laws, but does it make it legitimate? Um, they need to work for us, not the other way around. Got it. So, uh, so it seems like you're not very happy with the corporate, uh, you know, taking over the dental, uh, dental structure. And essentially in the long run, uh, as we've seen in the past, um, happened to medicine, happened to optometrists, happened to pharmacology, you know, pharmacists, what I meant. Um, don't you think in the long run um, they are going to uh, take over anyways, you know? Uh, and I don't how- think so. I think they're going to be a chapter in the, in the bins of, in the dustbin of history. Um, the fact of the matter is, look at their look at their online reviews. Look at what people are saying about them. Look at the lawsuits they're constantly in. Uh, they have taken a noble profession that was between a doctor and a patient yeah. and turned it into a marketing function, which is shameless. They've come in. They they, they lie about increasing access. They lie about uh, who owns what assets. They yeah. keep claiming doctors own these operations. Mm-hmm. They waltz into our profession uninvited, and 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 and, and turn it into a marketing function. People sure. don't trust us anymore. Chair said, why? Because of these corporations. 
They don't trust us. They think we're lying. They think we're trying to get into their pockets because they go into these offices, get these exuberant treatment plans, and some guy that is not even a dentist is sitting at some executive office setting production goals. It's absurd. It's offensive. And it should never be allowed in our profession. So my only comment and my colleagues is make sure you are an owner and you have a say in the operation or uh, you know, you're going to be kicked out of the door in a revolving door and they blame, they'll blame you for sure. everything that went wrong to pushing you for production. My, uh, now, I'm trying to uh, you know, be a devil's advocate here. Sorry if that... Uh, what I'm trying to ask is you are a dedicated, hardworking man. I mean, you've been working, as I said, you're a very dentaholic, a workaholic. Um, but how would you think... Uh, you know, uh, not everybody wants to work the way you want to work. If corporate comes in and takes away my responsibility of, for example, getting a hygienist, getting a dent, uh, getting an assistant to the office, and uh, and that makes my life easier. I'm not saying I'm doing it. I'm just saying if any other dentist who ha- follows with such troubles over and over, as you said, when you had six offices, you were uh, you were throwing fires, you know, you were extinguishing fires every day. And that's probably the reason that you even sold it. What I'm trying to come at is why won't they really, what's stopping them, what's stopping them to go to corporate and, you know, uh, make their life easier? Stopping them from nothing. Either you're building your own dream or you're building somebody else's dream. What they conveniently do, they give you all these benefits, malpractice, maybe some health, a lot of promises that never materialize. And uh, they keep all the equity. So you're working sometimes at these corporate office for $500 a day. Maybe you get some benefits, but you're not building. You're not going to be able to sustain and grow and create the life that you want to create if you're building somebody else's dream. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Now, there is a place for them in society, in my opinion, in, uh, in government-funded uh, programs. That's where they belong. And uh, uh, in reality... And this is a noble doctor-patient relationship. Yes, you know, you can ask Trump, why don't you go sell out our whole country and let everybody waltz in here because it's convenient for you. But why would he sell out uh, uh, America, his flag, his country, his love, his passion, his patriotism uh, to to some outside force because it creates convenience? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're selling out our profession to corporate uh, interests because they uh, they have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank, how is that justified? They have enough lobbyists. They have been able to survive now for 20 years. They, they, they pick up one crooked politician here, one crooked lobbyist here, and get through their Senate investigations and always put fires out. But ultimately, the patient, the doctors that know and understand, they don't want to be part of this because that makes them sort of, in my opinion, a sellout to dentistry. Got it. No, that, uh, I think, uh, at, what about what about if, uh, for example, uh, you are a corporate? I'm just saying, and you come to me and you say, uh, "Panks, I'll let you do, let you own the equity of the office, okay? And uh, you run the, your show the way you want to run, right? And but I'll help you out, and I'll take ten, twenty percent, thirty percent, whatever we decide to do. Uh, how do you think that would be? Would that be okay for somebody? Is it between two dentists? It could be between two, one dentist and a corporate. You could be one of the corporate, for example. Yeah, if I'm solely providing management services that I don't have my hands in the doctor's pockets, I'm not trying to steal their equity, then yeah, come and help me grow. I'll pay you. I'll okay. cart for services that you provide. Uh, uh, but if you go and hire a doctor to put his name on an office and you pay him a stipend to get around state laws, 
that's just plain disgusting and uh, it's infuriating for our colleagues and the legislators and the, the, the enforcers and the investigators aren't able to do anything. But ultimately, it's a switch in hand. These right. doctors that supposedly the owners, they don't own anything in a lot of the cases. They own some charts uh, and, and, and all of the assets of the practice, the facility, the building, the, 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 the equipment is owned by some management company who's not even supposed to own any practices. I got in it. 47 states, they're not supposed to own anything. That doctors mm-hmm. There's a very good reason why. It's a corporate, uh, uh, corporate practice of medicine and dentistry. It's prohibited because it creates an interference with the patient-doctor relationship, because they choose the materials, because they choose the hours, the assistance, the staff, the agenda, the equipment, on and on it goes. It all crumbles down to what happens chair-side, which is between a doctor and a patient, and the doctor should have all of the say of what happens there. Fair enough. All right. So uh, I think I'll let the audience decide how they want to pursue, but uh, as you're trying to say, uh, as long as you own the office and a corporate entity uh, uh, could be a DSO comes in to help you grow, to help you, uh, you know, uh, take away some of the uh, some of the pain points and you know let you do good dentistry. That's still welcomed. I mean, what pain points? If you have one practice, you have a good office manager, you have a good accountant, and you have a good lawyer, wanna, you have a good team. People want to have them. People want to have more offices. Um, just because I believe they want to have um, success. Uh, that's how they define success, probably. You know, to have more offices, uh, more revenue coming in. Uh, uh, if they're a dentist, they're entitled to that. There's no laws or regulations uh, uh, preventing a dentist from owning multiple offices, satellite offices. It is uh, what concerns us are these corporate interests or, or, or hedge funds, uh, uh, Retirement funds coming right. in and sort of uh, doing a switch of the authority. The dentist should never be told by some floor supervisor to go into a room <laughs> and do two rounds and go into another room and do two fillings. Yeah. I've seen I've been in 300 more offices. I've seen it all. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and they get away with it. And if something goes back and the young kid has uh, been pressured to produce, they kick him out the door and they say, hey, he did it. She did it. Exactly. And take no responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. They're not our friends. They're our enemies. Makes sense. All right. All right. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing your opinion about uh, you know, the corporate offices versus the individual offices. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. You're still in vast majority. Over 60% of us are sole proprietors. And uh, they're going to have to put up a good fight. Sure. Well, uh, thank you again. Thank you for sharing. You're now, very welcome. So, uh, I think... Um, Let's try to humanize everything. What I always ask is, you've been so successful in so many different ways. You've been to 300 offices, 50,000 followers, uh, one big office where uh, you're, you, you're making more in two or three days or four days than we do it in a week or 10 days or two weeks. Um, and uh, just to humanize it, for all the successes that you've achieved, you know, with 4.0 GPA and all around, Please try, please, if you can, share with us a hard time in your life. You know, one, one hard uh, event in your life that you, you were like floored. You didn't know what to do. And, you know, obviously, how did you end up overcoming that? Uh, it's been a lot of hardship. I used to uh, do construction and 
put shingles up and paint walls and drywalling and all of that in undergrad to try to pay for my books in college. Um, so uh, particularly, there's always been hardship. I'm not from a very wealthy family. It was all earned by hard work. Mm-hmm. Everything that I've gotten. Okay. Um, so, you know, I had uh, uh, times when uh, of financial distress, when you have essentially a gun to your head, you have payroll to make. Uh, uh, there's been some very, very tough times, but one particularly that changed something. Um, yeah. Um, not specifically. I've uh, managed to resolve all the problems that came along and learn from them. Uh, anything, uh, anything um, in dentistry, or you know, that you had to work hard towards, which you didn't expect that would happen, and it happened, and you were not, you know, you failed. That's okay. One of your maybe. Uh, but how did you, did you not have any failures or? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, in clinical failures that beat me up uh, personally for for months. Uh, yeah, I had, and I think it was 2009, I ended up uh, severing a patient. Uh, I have some questions which are, which I call them as Tim Ferriss inspired questions. Um, and I'm going to ask you some questions. You can take as much time as you want. You can go slow. Uh, as much detail as you like. There is no, nothing right, nothing wrong. Just speak your heart out. So, um, so the first thing is, uh, do you have any morning ritual um, before you come to the office or before you come for come to your business? Before yes, I catch up with. Uh, I get up. I do a few push-ups. Sometimes I run a little bit. Then I catch up with my emails. Usually my mailbox is full, so I have to make uh, a lot of decisions at once. Yeah. And then uh, I get ready, and uh, and if it's a clinic day, I have to work. If it's not a clinic day, then uh, that continues throughout the day, and uh, I'll try to work out somewhere in between, and uh, and that's pretty much uh, how the days go by. Got it. Uh, how do you – so you get like tens and hundreds of emails a day. Uh, how do you – how do you separate them in a, in a way? How would you prioritize them? What is your sequence of prioritization, if at all? So uh, certain things do not get answered. The vast majority of the emails get answered because there's a lot of spam too. But you have to separate the emails. I usually put them in a box of things that need immediate attention. And that box usually has to be, f- has to be empty by the end of the week or, or it just keeps staying in that box, which is annoying to me. So... Uh, if I get emails, they get processed. They go through a system. They get uh, they get allocated into a folder, and that folder is constantly my work and play area. So when I'm not doing something else, I need to be in that folder, making sure the people that have contacted me get attended to, be proposal, be podcast, be um, people wanting to take courses, be whatever it is, or executives yeah. coming around yeah. wanting consultation. I've been doing a lot of corporate, uh, uh, not that kind of corporate, like uh, products and ser- uh, products and so forth, that yeah. they send me products to evaluate. So I work a lot with them. I consult uh, chairman and CEOs uh, on, of count- countless companies and, and their operations and uh, what to do better to enter into the space. Got it. Uh, so uh, uh, it's an ongoing uh, uh, hamster wheel. Got it. So, but as the as the as the wheel goes, every year it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> well, that's where was my next question going to. Uh, so, you some of the some of the things have to be taken care of immediately or by the end of the week. Okay, that I understand. 
but how do I think? And the on the other spectrum, there are some emails. One particular event doesn't really come to mind. I always remember that case. Uh, I don't know if you caught a lot of that in the last segment, uh, where we had the patient with the nerve damage, and uh, it kind of caused me a good uh, six-month uh, depression wow. uh, until that patient scenario was solved. Um, that was a long time ago. But okay. uh, out of that, uh, it created a very big opportunity for me to further my knowledge and literature about the situation. Um, so sometimes you'll have complications. Sometimes you'll have really, really bad days, but you sleep it off and you shrug your shoulders and you get up and and uh, do it all over again the next day. And you'd be surprised. You have a better day and things resolve themselves. Great. Uh, I don't know if it's a li- uh, I'm pr- prying a little too much, but do you want to share what happened with the patient? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Patient came in. I uh, was uh, sipping around 2008, 2009. Yeah. And uh, wisdom teeth, got the patient teeth numb, did the flap, and went after a tooth that was uh, sort of uh, a younger patient that had a, had a sack around it. And uh, what I was cutting, um, I hit the nerve, um, and uh, the inferior of the older nerve actually got severed through okay. and through. The mm-hmm. next day, you know, obviously she didn't have any uh, any uh, sensation there or burning and tingling. And then uh, uh, I had to get her to the microsurgeon uh, that sutured it up. And uh, and uh, we didn't have any uh, recovery for for months and months. And then eventually she had about 70% recovery, which was great. Yeah. But during that time, you get depressed. You're like, oh, here goes my license. Here goes my clinic. He goes, I'm going to get sued and my, my practice and this and that. And then you work less and you're always thinking about it. It's just my my, my personality. Sure, sure, sure. But, but, uh, but eventually that little, I don't know, $69 the state was paying for those kind of procedures was, was certainly not worth the six months of headache and money's lost uh, in trying to correct. Sometimes you got to do good case selection. Yeah. Although I do all wisdom teeth and I got into literature very deep after that and took some more training. Um, I had done many, many, I had done thousands before that procedure and I've probably done over 30,000 cases, not wow. single teeth since. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, but sometimes you're going to have a, you're going to have a bad day and how you handle that is the key. So every time you have a, ha- a bad day, I don't let that discourage me. I just fight through the day, go sleep it off, start over the next day, and solve the problems. Great. No, that's that's a very wonderful uh, thing that you shared. Thank you. Uh, it's hard to share your vulnerable points, and uh, you you did exactly what you did there. Uh, so, what was what were you talking to yourself? You know, hey, I did this. I know I'm under depression, uh, but how did you talk yourself out of it? That uh, the realities that are in front of me now, here are my options. Uh, best thing not to abandon the situation, give the patient the full care, sure that you care. And uh, and the patient was really friendly with me, and I went to actually the hospital, brought her some flowers, uh, talked her more through. She had already known she had consented to the treatment plan. Yes. It wasn't really a case there, uh, but the fact that I did it and it caused harm to somebody else was what was eating at me every day. Not because I was I was going to get sued and this and that. That's also there as well. I mean, that's sure. the stressor there. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you caused harm to somebody else that wasn't there before, and there's no way to talk yourself out of it. Uh, um, and what you can do is to uh, to really care. People are people. They understand that mistakes can be made. They understand that medicine and dentistry is not perfect. That sometimes yes. everything doesn't go as it should. Yes. And uh, and they uh, they're not out to get you. Uh, but if you ignore them, you avoid the situation. You don't follow up. You let them hang in. Then you got bigger problems. So slowly, uh, my friendship with uh, that person uh, is very strong. Uh, and uh, and uh, eventually, uh, thank God, we had a vast majority of recovery. But it was a very tough time in my life. I was actually in the process of engaging to my wife, and it was just a big, big headache. Wow. Yeah. No, I remember vividly. <laughs> yeah, there's always one time, right? There's always one time. And I think... Uh, uh, that's what humanizes us. Core and membranes and CFG and you know concentrated growth factors. Uh, it's a forty billion dollar plus industry now, and uh, I encourage our colleagues to learn more about that as well. It involves phlebotomy, involves stem cells. Um, so that's the that's the future of uh, of, in the, of our industry is uh, minimal invasive procedures and regenerative medicine. Um, so two areas I'm involved in heavily. How do you think um, dentists can uh, utilize stem cells and phlebotomies and PRFs? I mean, uh, what, are the what are the basic uses and advantages of using something or learning such a skill? Um, better healing process for your patients, more predictable healing process for your patients. Okay. Things that you couldn't do before um, on a, on a Band-Aid on steroids. Uh, essentially what these membranes are made from your own autologously. Yeah. Um, there are some allograft stem cell projects out there, Greece, some other countries, Poland I'm working with. But um, people want the least invasive and the, the, the best treatment for themselves. Mm -hmm. And if you don't cater to that, you're going to be left behind. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the Invisalign era where we had all the no-sayers, naysayers, and then Ardana started doing it, and the dentist started doing it. Now it's mainstream. Right. You can expect regenerative medicine to be mainstream. It is the future of uh, medicine and dentistry amongst minimally invasive procedures, procedures that require the minimum amount of uh, damage or invasion or trauma. Got it. Got it. Um, that helps. Um, I think... Um Somebody mentioned to me about the PRF. I think Dr. Arun Garg, he teaches a course uh, for that too, um, for phlebotomy and, uh, uh, and the PRFs. Yeah, I was with him on Saturday. Oh, that's, oh, that's where you were. Okay, great. Yeah. So, all right. So, next, uh, the most gifted book, if you have given any. Uh, Contemporary Implant Dentistry by Carl E. Misch. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a great book. That's I read that book uh, page to page twice before I took my diplomate exam. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really bonded with this guy. Um, I should probably refer to him as with this uh, legend. Yes. Um, uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a higher level, if you know what I mean. Sure, sure. I understand. Thank you. Um, I think I get an idea, but for the audience, please share. Comment more on, uh, at the higher level. You start looking at a man that uh, dedicated his entire life to dentistry and our cause. Start writing books. Not really to write a book. Start impacting an entire profession. 
You know, everything in our industry is new. We didn't have a high-speed handpiece uh, in, the, in the late 70s. It was early 70s. They came with a handpiece that was going at 3,000 RPM. Right. They're all forefront of innovation and medicine. When people innovate and, 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 and create something new that helps humanity, that's exciting. That's okay. something they've done with their life to advance other people for his cause. That's exactly what Carl did. Mm-hmm. Dedicated his life to his profession, regardless of his other personal or uh, which is uh, irrelevant in this picture. Right. He wrote many books. He innovated things. He created something noble. Now you put something like that against some guy that's sitting on on, on tens of millions of dollars has nothing done for our profession. Has has, has essentially. Uh, profiteered of our of our colleagues and patients. The yeah. two different worlds. You can respect leaders of this industry that dedicate their lives to this cause, or you can respect these people that are not dentists that have loud mouths that are spreading lies. And uh, you decide which which uh, which uh, uh, leadership, which kind of leadership you want to join. For me, it was a very simple decision. Okay. So, uh, and are you trying to be talking in terms of? Uh, uh, at least for higher level, uh, the phrase that you used was it more spiritual level? Spiritual, yeah, spiritual, okay. mental. I mean, uh, this guy was like amazing to me. What he was doing and what he was researching and the articles and the book, the things that were said in the book, uh-huh. they still hold true. Uh, sort of an idol for me uh, and someone to look up to. Great, thank you, thank you for sharing. All right, next. Um, what do people never ask you? that you wish they did? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you in all these countries? Why are you running around? Why are you setting up all of these uh, academies? What is it that you're trying to create? Nobody ever asked me that. I think I did. <laughs> you did to a certain degree. Yes. You, you went a lot deeper than others do. Great, but, thank uh, you. I want to set an example of what can be accomplished by a single doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how we can bring each other together once again, yeah, and and then gain control of our profession and uh, and uh, okay. pass that on to the next generations. Um, that's what I stand for, and that's what I will continue doing. And there's uh, not a force out there that's going to stop it. Thank you. Great. Uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that because uh, uh, it's a it's a tough question, and you know I've had all my uh, uh, guests have a trouble answering this question, but thank you. Oh, thank you for answering it. Okay, any particular quote? My pleasure. Okay, any particular quote that you follow that guides you, that you like, uh, that inspires you? Anything? Uh, lots of good Gandhi quotes out there. Uh, in a gentle way, you can shake the world. Um, there's a uh, there's a lot of them. You actually got to give me a couple of seconds to think, because I uh, sure I do post a lot of things from a lot of different. I'm uh, very uh, fond of uh, of of Einstein quotes, like doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Right. Um, uh, that's always good. That'll keep you from making the same mistakes. Um, yeah, there was one. Uh, from that South Africa gentleman um, that talks about uh, uh, first they argue with you, then they try to discredit you, then they fight you, then uh, then then you win. 
um, at the end you win. So I, I, uh, I've been playing by that quote for 12 years. I, uh, you know, uh, the people that were laughing again, 10, 10, 12 years ago, they're no longer laughing now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, yes, quotes are always good. They remind us uh, of, uh, of very important, uh, very important lessons and teachings and they're very, they can be very powerful, but yeah, Quotes from Gandhi, Einstein, uh, that kind of, uh, those have always uh, excited and impacted me. Great, thank you. Uh, now, when you think of a person being successful, who are, the, who are the first two people that come into your mind? They could be alive or dead, doesn't matter. But when you think of a person being successful, who are the two people that come to your mind? I think uh, the first person that comes to mind is my father. He's successful for having built a good family, good additions to society, cared for his family. Um, that's what I identify more as success versus financial. So there's more to it than just uh, income and, uh, and, uh, and status. And, and, uh, and I think the, the most important uh, and most successful person in my life I look up to would be my father. Great. Any any other person you might? Uh, on a professional level, uh, there's many I look up to, but uh, again, there's more to success than just uh, being good at one thing. If you're good at one thing and you're, you're, you're terrible at the other, you're not really successful. So let's go so back to this question. To this is a very, this is another question I like to ask. Uh, what is your definition of success? Definition of success is, is um, to A, to excel in your own life, to create a, a, a person that others can look up to, that others can work with, to bring people together, to have a, create a good family, have good values, uh, to be a value to society versus uh, 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 just, uh, we have plenty of people that are successful in this world. Need yeah. people that are that are contributing more to to causes. So uh, success, in my opinion, is multifold. It's certainly not financial. Uh, financial is numbers. Numbers are human made. It's not reality. It's a it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's just what it is. Numbers. So right. you can't measure success by numbers. Uh, satisfaction in your life. Are you happy? Uh, that's part of being successful. Part of being successful is to to motivate others to succeed. Um, mm -hmm. So many, 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 many uh, things come into play when you talk about success, but it's certainly not financial. Got it. Thank you. If you could go back in your career or life and change one decision, what would that be? I probably would have taken my, I should have taken my MBA right after school or before when I went to dental school. Hmm. I'd, have, I'd have shaken the world long time ago <laughs> all right seems like you loved uh, your MBA degree after after you did because it gives you uh, it opens your mind to to respond to what was happening uh, uh, in Chicago or Illinois when you were in correct okay um, well, I I asked the next question, but uh, see if you would still want to give another uh, another 
flow to it. Uh, what's one of the hardest decisions you had to make over the past year? Decisions I had to make over the past year. One of the hardest decisions. <clears throat> the hardest decisions I've had to make last year. Um, it's a very good question. Nothing comes to mind, really. The hardest decision I had. To, uh, the hardest decision I had to make in the last year. I'd have to circle back on that one. Okay, that's fine. Um, did you have any advice uh, for younger Dr. Kainar Shah? Yes, I have great advice for that. After school, don't let those deaths uh, uh, scare you. You need to take one more blow, which means start associating with another doctor for a year or two, and then make it your own. Either buy that doctor out or set up your own place. It's going to be one more, one more challenge, one more hurdle. Then you can start building the life you want. Make your own schedule. Work when you want. Don't work when you want. Take care of your family. You don't have to ask permission from anybody. You're not forcing to see that you don't want to take uh, so you can benefit these uh, entities. Create your own vision. Create your own life. Create your own destiny. Got it. Uh, don't let these companies run over you because you have a little debt. They will put you in a worse situation. In 10 years, you wake up and you have nothing. Um, uh, uh, that's the best advice I can give my colleagues. And let's gain our, let's gain our uh, uh, control over our profession back, eh? Okay. Yeah, sure. Sure. Now, what is one habit that you think makes you so successful? Persistence. Great. Thank you. Um, if you have a giant billboard such that you could display a great message or a quote for everyone to follow, of course, not about your company or your podcast or anything, what would you like to tell people or the dental world? Treat others like you want to be treated, be it in your clinical practice, be it in your personal interactions. Uh, uh, treat others like you want to be treated. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Do you, do you think you have any uh, ideas about the hardest decisions? I'm trying to circle back if something is clicking you right now. I had to let a uh, staff member go that was wonderful worker, uh, quite tardy. Um, wonderful worker, Chairside. Best assistant I've ever had. I had to let her go because of tardiness, personal hygiene issues, uh, uh, violation of sterilization protocols in our office. So that was a very hard decision to make. But sometimes, uh, just because they're good at one thing doesn't mean they're the best fit for you or the best fit for your patients. Wow. That, that's really hard. So uh, you have such a successful uh, uh, office running pretty smoothly. What do you think? Why do you think the staff or the team member actually stays with you for such a long time? Um, because we, we don't work them like, uh, like, uh, we respect, I mean, we don't work our, our employees like they would in other offices and not running around eight hours a day from room to room, missing things, running. I, it's just a zoo, very, uh, slow paced, um, it's pleasant to, to not, uh, to be able to talk to patients, set them down and work with them. That type of thing. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
any uh, any other advice for our young associates, young dentists, or your colleagues? We obviously talked about uh, you know the corporate versus individual uh, practices, but other than that, do you have any other uh, any other advice or thoughts to share to the dental world? Yes, um, thoughts in terms of um, uh, we are in a risk, in my opinion, in a recession-proof environment when people up their skills. This tremendous uh, problem, the oral uh, epidemic, and I do global forecasts for these at different conferences, uh, tremendous upside for us. Uh, um, we are essentially, in my opinion, recession-proof. Um, so you enter the wonderful profession. Uh, we can keep it that way if we just work together. If a fraction of our doctors, our dentists worldwide, work together as closely as these companies do, they don't stand a chance. And another thing is you're in a lot better situation to move and mobilize locally than these corporations can. When they want to make a change in their in their operations of 100 offices, they got to dish out millions and millions of dollars. You don't have to. If you want to work with the local community, you want to sponsor the local events, you want to uh, get go to the chamber, there's a lot of things that they can't standardize. So we're in a lot of uh, better situations and positions to chase them out of our communities and neighborhoods by actually competing with them head on. And uh, their doctors don't have any say. It's the, the, the policies are dictated and emanate from a corporate office. Sure. You have all of the control and you can make decisions that benefit your community, benefit your patients, and benefit yourselves a lot better than they can ever dream of moving. So we are actually in a better competitive place than they are. They would want you to believe that they have all the monies. I have companies that have billions of dollars that can't get 100 doctors into a room to, 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 to present to them. They come to me to, to, get, to make that happen. All their billions are worth a dime if you play your cards right. Wow, that's a strong message. Thank you, Dr. Kenneshaw, for your, all your time and patience to answer all the questions and taking part in this long-form podcast at hashtag POD, Podcast of Dentistry. Thank you. If you want to see who I have for the next episode, please hit subscribe to hashtag POD of Dentistry on iPhone, Android, and all the other common platforms. The website where everything lives is rightly called as Podcasts of Dentistry. If you are interested in being a part of our amazing group, please join us on Facebook at podcastsofdentistry.com slash Facebook. I'll see you there. Best wishes from Panks Dingra. Dingra.